Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Ezekiah. And after six, <coughs> all the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in his fame. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs, and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his head of his spear was 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up the battle array? Am I not the Philistine, you and, your, uh, and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he will become, we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the, uh, and the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and the second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shaman. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock of Bethlehem. The Philistine came forward, uh, came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Alright, we have this situation. The Philistines have their champion. Goliath. He is challenging the army. You know, can you find a man? You know, uh, bring him on. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see who's the real uh, victor here. What do you know about Goliath? He's tall. Whoa, wasn't he? <laughs> about how tall was he? Yeah, like nine and a half feet tall. I know some tall guys, but I've never met anybody nine and a half feet tall. Can you imagine? Have you ever seen a really tall there's not many of those around, but I mean, you take somebody six, eight, seven foot, seven two. If you see somebody way up in there, and they're all filled out, sometimes they're not that what that they are. They're mad, you know, just at that size. Because you know, the taller you get to fill you out, <laughs> become just really big. And can you imagine nine and a half feet, and what that would look like on a warrior? And uh, he's armored about like a tank. You know, he's got this bronze helmet. He's, he's clothed with this armor that weighs about 125 pounds. 125 pounds in armor. A, a spear that's about 17 pounds. Maybe that doesn't sound like a lot until you stop and think about the fact for a, to be, a spear to be 17 pounds, the weight's on the end of that spear. And uh, he's just, wow, this is really uh, impressive. And uh, what are you going to do when you try to fight against a man like this? We need to go back to what was said in 167, don't look on the appearance. 
You know, we become either impressed or intimidated by the appearance. But that's not the real key here. But it, it really frightened the Israelite army. Nobody had the guts to do anything. You know, they, nobody had the courage to go against him. Uh, Saul had even come up with a prize. You know, if somebody will fight against him, look at all he'll get if he wins. Of course, nobody thought they could win. So the prize didn't really help him a whole lot. Um, comments or questions on these 16 verses? <laughs> Dan? I think it's interesting here that uh, we know this guy's name's being Goliath, but um, so many times this book here, or this chapter, it is called the Philistine. Because uh, that's all he is. He's not some great champion to God. He's just another Philistine, and that people should be afraid of him. It all depends on how you look at somebody. Do you look at him as a mass of muscle and armor? Or do you look at him as a pagan? As an uncircumcised enemy of God? If you look at him that way, well, he's nothing. He's God's enemy. You look at him as a mass of muscle and armor, whoa, what are you going to do with him? I mean, can you imagine getting in a wrestling match with somebody like that? You know, I mean, wow. Uh, but, but, but from the perspective of God, wonder how big the Lord is, you know? So, other thoughts? Yeah, John. I think besides just the cowardice of the Israelites and uh, failing to face them, I think more so than anything, they failed to be sympathetic for God because uh, God's name was attached to Israel. And with Goliath challenging them, he was really taking on God. And they weren't jealous enough for God and sympathetic enough to, to, to rush to defend his name. Yeah, good point. It becomes, as it was always with Saul, more of a personal thing or a national thing and not something centered on the glory of God. Good point. Cameron. I think here Saul's backing out again because he's offering other people to do it, but he was the pure person who was the king. He was a person that everyone saw as two feet or, or head and shoulders above everyone. He's so much stronger and bigger, and it was his job to go and fight that guy, and yet he's passing off again. Great point. That is uh, vintage Saul, but you're exactly right. If he's the tall guy in the group, why isn't he volunteering to go out and fight him? And they wanted a king to fight their battles. <laughs> now they've got a king offering prizes to anybody who will fight the battle for him. That's a good point. Yeah, other thoughts? Well, 17 to 30. Then Jesse said to David his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of your to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand, and look into the welfare of your brothers, and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all had heard the men of Israel are in the battle of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. The Isra Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line as he entered in order to bring his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistine, and he spoke these same words that David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. 
The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be the king who will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his older brother, also heard when he spoke to the man, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. So, Jesse sends David to do what? Check on his brothers and bring him a care package, right? They're, they're, they're on the battle line. You know, you never know what a day is going to bring you. You know, here David is going over the battle line to bring a care package to his brother. You reckon he ever thought about this being the biggest day of his life when he started that day out? I mean, you never know when there's going to be some overwhelming challenge that will define you in a day. But that's what this is going to be. David gets up, he goes over there, he brings the care package. That's about the time that Goliath is coming out on his daily taunt as he tries to egg somebody on to fight him. He wants to fight. The men of Israel see him, they flee, they're scared to death. The men of Israel say, listen to uh, verse 25. Have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. It will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now that's the perspective of the Israelite soldiers. Listen to David, verse 26. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God. Do you hear the difference in how the soldiers speak and how David speaks? The soldiers talk about this man. But what does David call him? An uncircumcised Philistine. Exactly. And they say he's defying Israel. But David sees this as they're taunting the armies of the living God. They talk about the man who kills him. David talks about the man that takes away the reproach from Israel. David sees this in God-centered spiritual terms. They see this in human-centered physical terms. It all depends on how you look at it. It depends on your perspective. From David's perspective, whatever his size, Goliath is an uncircumcised Philistine who's taunting the armies of the living God. From When we look at things and we evaluate things on, from the perspective of faith, then who is he? Who does he think he is coming up against God? So what David saw in the Valley of Elah that day is very different from what the Israelite soldiers saw. He saw this on a whole different level. 
Now, when he starts asking these questions and saying these things, what does his oldest brother think and say? He came down to see the battle. Yeah, what are you doing down here anyhow? Just came down here to see the battle. I know what's in your heart. I know you're up to. You're a mischief maker. You're a troublemaker. Here's a kid. Any of us ever treat our little brothers that way? It's one thing to think about. But, but you know, uh, it's really a good thing David hadn't come down to see some action. He'd have been greatly disappointed. <laughs> you know, really much going on. <laughs> yeah, David. I think it's very interesting that, and very, I guess, encouraging that, you know, David's brothers are in a way belittling him for coming down, exactly asking, you know, who is this that's doing this and why is nothing being done? And they try to, I guess, belittle and discourage him from asking questions and getting involved. But David doesn't let that, you know, get him down. I think we should take that into our own lives that when people are going to belittle us, then we should still stand for what's right and just not let it get us down. Absolutely. When they say, you're just a kid, or you're just this, or you're just that, we serve God. It doesn't matter. Is that? So many times when you approach someone and when there's something wrong in their lives that they need to fix, um, like these people, they're, they're people. Why is no one doing anything about it? Well, what are you doing here? You, you know, you're not supposed to be here. They, they turn and then uh, instead of accepting criticism, they turn and make personal attacks against you. So why is Eliab upset with David? Absolutely. He feels small and humiliated. As someone said, one does not like one's cowardice rubbed in his face. You know? Uh, and David is showing how cowardly all these soldiers are by just his even outlook on the challenge. It makes them look bad. Who wants to be made to look bad by your little brother? That's what the problem is, and it often is. The ones who get attacked are often the ones who are doing the right thing, and it makes the others feel guilty. And so they lash, lash out. Yeah, Roger. Well, I was thinking that uh, we need to be watching out for the people who are trying to discourage us. A lot of times we're the people who are discouraging others. Uh, when people are, are going to do something radical for God, or they're going to do something that seems like, you know, you need to be careful. We're like, man, you need to think about it. You know, before you go out to fight, you know, you better really uh, think about that. And a lot of times, people that are trying to walk by faith and do what's right, and we're walking by fear, you know, we're discouraging them, you know. Uh, so we need to be really careful that people who are trying to do good things, we don't, dis we don't we're not the ones who are talking to them from a, from an earthly we're in the army. And so somebody, so a brother says, you know, we need to go out and teach these people. I'm going to go out, I'm going to knock on some doors, and I'm going to start talking to my friends and, and my relatives. I'm going to say, I have work. Yeah, I've been trying before. Yeah, don't even try. You know, what were you, you know, who do you think you are? You know, people will pour cold water on our determination to try to do the right thing because it makes them feel bad because they're not doing it. So it must not be the right thing. It's exactly right. Sometimes our worst enemies will be our friends, our fellow soldiers who feel outclassed 
when we start trying to do the right thing. Justin? A lot of times that negative attitude, I know, especially um, I've done it before, um, it comes from um, not being as spiritually minded yourself and feeling like um, they kind of had a better idea than you or, or, or they turned something into a spiritual light that you didn't think of or they're more spiritual minded than you and you kind of instead of praising them you kind of almost get defensive because you're not up to their level or you know something like that it's really probably an act anyway yeah. they're really not sincere you know or whatever we we always try to be little but bring them down to our size so we don't feel low josh uh, two things are we david has a chance to hide in the baggage it seems like, and he doesn't run away from the opportunity. Good point. And then also, are we supposed to see this, what the people of Israel say about the first, because he does end up with the daughter of Saul. Um, I, I, I just find that interesting. I don't know if there's supposed to be a connection there. Uh, when they say, you know, you'll be given a daughter of the king. Of course, he gets the daughter later for other reasons. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of, it is ironic that he does end up marrying one of Saul's daughters to death. I think it's uh, terribly ironic and it's interesting that um, Eliab says to David, I know your heart. Um, of course, he made a false judgment upon the condition of David's heart, but David's heart was the reason that God chose him to be a, his leader. Um, I think it's interesting that he mentioned that. That is interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point. Yes, yeah. Keeping in mind David's reaction to all the injustice that was going around him, um, how often when evil is going around us until it affects us personally, do we react as strongly as he did? I think it's important that we keep in mind God's reaction to the evil that is going on around us and that we have that same attitude. Yeah, I think it would have been awfully easy seeing a mammoth soldier to decide, well, I'm not in the army. <laughs> you know, it's not my job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And David, he's concerned about this affront to the glory of the living God. That's what Mark said. And going off of what you just said, it, it, I, I love his attitude because that's what it's all about. It's not about how big the person is. It doesn't matter how long the odds are. David knows at this point of his life that when God is on your side, you win. Period. Exactly right. Steve. I sometimes kind of uh, relate David when he responds, you know, what have I done now? Was, was it not just a question? <laughs> um, but one of, the, one of the things about, uh, I'm reminded of what it says about Noah, where he, you know, built an ark and condemned his generation. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised when people take offense at us, even when we're not trying to be offensive. We're just living lives that try to please God, and people see that. And uh, they're going to think it's strange that we're not running with them in the same plot of this faith. Right, exactly. Terry. It's interesting when I recall what God told Samuel, I'm choosing him, this man for myself. You see that, it, it stands out. And the other thing I think about the lesson, think about how his brothers were felt. Here's the youngest one that got anointed. They're fixing to, they're fixing to learn something from this very powerful thing right here. Amen. Good point. Yeah, John. <laughs> so like how later he backs up his faith. It's not like a, you know, like a five-year-old child saying, "I love God." You know, he has reasons for believing in God, and you know, it's it's been evident to him in the past where God protected him, um, and what he does is a job or whatever. So you know, the lions and such. But I mean, I think that's because I think young people we often discredit them because they haven't seen what we've seen, or they haven't had their faith tested or whatever. You know, and we could. You know, we could say, oh, well, you're, 
you don't know what you're talking about, but he actually did. You know, he did. Very good. Other thoughts? Uh, I had a question. Do we know how old David is at this time? I don't, but I mean, I'm guessing this doesn't seem to have been a long time after he was anointed. Uh, he, it's his three oldest brothers that are in the army. Yeah. So I'm assuming he's still young. Logan. Are we to assume that his brothers knew full well that he had been anointed as I don't know for sure about I was just going to say, if he, if he wasn't at the battlefront, then he was rather quite young. Because back then, with the armies, they, they didn't roll him earlier than he sometimes in today. I think he really was quite young. That, that would be my opinion. I mean, some of these things are somewhat subjective, and everybody might read it differently, but I would assume he was very young. Which would make it more powerful. Certainly makes the hand of God stand out. He was not winning this battle because of who he was. Cameron. I think another really cool um, part of his attitude here is that he's not going for his own glory. He's asking these questions, trying to encourage the people around him to first go and defeat Goliath. He's not like, oh, well, I can get this. I got this. And he just shows them all up. He's letting them do it first because they are the warriors. But once they won't step up, then he's ready to step up. And I think we need to do the same thing, too. Whenever there's someone else is more qualified to do something, we should encourage them to do it, but if they're not going to do it, we need to step up and take the job. Amen. Well, this is a certainly a lesson in our going forth to the challenge, standing up for the Lord, really doing what we need to do. Well, what's going to happen? You know, David seems to have an interest in fighting Goliath. Will he? 31 to 40. <clears throat> When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for them. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out from... Uh, out after him and attacked him and rescued it from from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off, and he took his stick in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in the shepherd's bag which he had. Even his pouch and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So David tells Saul, I'll go and fight him. And what does Saul say? You can't go and fight him. You know, you're a kid. He's been a warrior from his youth. You know, I, I imagine this is almost funny. You know, you can't do that. 
You know, it's not going to work. There's no way. And yet, how does David more or less defend the idea of his going? He's fought a lot in there. God has given him victories in the past when he's defended the flock. And he sees this uncircumcised Philistine as no better than a brutish animal defying the armies of the living God. If God could give him the victory over the lion and the bear, how's Goliath any different than that? He trusts the Lord to give the victory. I don't think Saul's got a better option. <laughs> there don't seem to be other soldier volunteers. Uh, Saul doesn't seem real uh, eager to fight him himself, but Saul was eager to uh, load his uh, clothing and armor to David so he can fight him. It uh, doesn't look like Saul's going to be needing those anytime soon. But David actually ends up not using those either. He's not going to try to fight with somebody else's weapons. He's going to fight Goliath on his own terms, which include five smooth stones and a slingshot. That's what he's used to. Does it really matter what your weapon is if the Lord is with you? Oh. Uh, it, it seems to me that there's a parallel with Gideon and how he narrowed down. It seems to me like he's putting on the armor and the sword. He's, and I, I feel like that God is going, no, this is, this is still not enough Lord for me. Absolutely. When God sent Gideon's army out, not only, as we said yesterday, did he radically reduce the size of the army down to 300, but he sent them out with great weapons, right? What did they have? Yeah, George, pitcher, and trumpet. Everybody knows you can fight a good battle with those weapons, can't you? I mean, it's like, wow, this doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to. When God sends David, David out with five stones and a slingshot, the point is, it's not because, man, you need to have slingshots in your army. That, that's the weapon of choice these days. You know, don't try to convince the uh, you know, Secretary of Defense that uh, that's, that's what's going to win these uh, wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and whatever. It's because the Lord's power is behind it. It has really nothing to do with what weapon is chosen, Justin. We don't really see it per se in the scriptures, um, but I can really see in this scene that all the soldiers and stuff around um, pretty much laughing and mocking him. Know, and especially with the scene with him trying on the armor and here it is you know way too big for him to even be able to maneuver or walk or anything and you know there's a little boy that can't even carry the sword and armor and and then he goes and gets a stick and and you know a couple stones and stuff I could see a lot of people making fun of him, you know and um, that's just kind of something else to add on to uh, to defend David there as far as his character and stuff because Especially for a younger person, um, you know, peers and fitting in and stuff like that is is a, is kind of important to most people, you know, and um, and well, and to to just kind of not even care about any of that at all, and just say, you know, I don't need this. I've got God on my side, and and to not care what anybody else thinks. That's really all David's focused on is the Lord. Chuck, why do you take five stones? It was afraid to miss. There was the significance of five. Well, I guess. Uh, I suppose. Why would you take, uh, you know, 
five uh, bullets. Uh, well, I mean, in David's case, though, I mean, he was relying on the Lord anyway, so. Well, all right. He's relying on the Lord. We've made that point. Does relying on the Lord mean he's just going to go out there and do nothing? No. God wants him to do what he can. Not that what he can is going to be the power that will defeat Goliath. It's like God giving us our daily bread. He intends for us to work for it, but he's the real provider. So God's the one that's going to provide the victory. He intends for David to do what he's capable of doing. Certainly not enough to kill a Goliath, but it's what he can do. <coughs> Even? Okay. Cool. Rob? Well, I got a lot of encouragement uh, from this uh, process right here because uh, it's all about the welfare and everything. I'm a Marine, so before, you know, because it'll be like, like being as a Marine that uh, try to go fight a foreign legion with you know with, with by myself with a foreign uh, the, uh, French foreign legion the whole squad by myself. It was like and then he walked out there and then with no cavalry no, no flag probably no weapon and that doesn't make any sense whatsoever to for for tactically you know the, the for for his brothers I don't blame his brothers for a warrior all they know is you know, to 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 rely to trust on their weapon to rely on the the, the technology available. For and for him to go out there and fight God here like that is just from a warrior perspective is impossible. And I also, you know, I also see that you know, from my life, like before I joined Marine Corps, like encouragement is like I, I can change the world. I'm gonna go do this. And then my experience, the the, the after Iraq and Afghanistan, I got discouraged because I looked through people. My experience supposedly like become. My, uh, my, dis uh, they encourage uh, instead of encouraging me, they discourage me because all these experiences is like, oh, impossible. I can't fight through. I can't do this. But if I look at it with God, then you know I can see that I can definitely. There's nothing. There's nothing that I can't do because it's not about me anymore. It's about God. Very good. Amen. Right. Well, I think uh, five stones. I think David didn't know how this was gonna go. I, I have to be honest. Like I, I think he's stepping out of faith. And he doesn't know how he's gonna go. He's like, I may need one, I may need two, I may need five. Absolutely, I agree. I don't know how this is gonna go. And I think a lot of times that's the case for us. See, I think a lot of times we're gonna gonna go do this, and we're really trying to figure out all these ways in which we're gonna go. And a lot of times we don't step out because we go, well, this scenario didn't work out there. That scenario didn't. I mean, and we start thinking through it, and we'll never do it. We just need to step out in faith, do what we can do, and God will do the rest. Amen. That's a great statement. Say that to yourself about five times. That's it. <laughs> all right. Yes. Um, we all have different weapons that we can use to fight for God. We don't all have to be the Gary Fisher and fight the way Gary Fisher. If you're a preacher, you don't have to mimic your favorite preacher and speak the exact same way he does, the exact same mannerisms and, and everything. Um, you can be a Barnabas, a great encourager, someone who gives. You can be someone who... There's so many different ways to fight for God. You may not be the one carrying the sword in the, the armor in the front lines of the battle, but you can be the guy who's simply bringing supplies to your brothers. And the reason for that is because the battle's the Lord's. Absolutely. It's not ours. Yes. 
Hi, great comments, great thoughts, Stephen. I, I hope people say that Saul put his armor on David so that like people might think that it was Saul, or basically that he's like <laughs> I've never heard that one. Right? Yeah, that basically like again, David is doing what Saul's supposed to be doing. Yes, I think that is the case. I think. <laughs> Jonathan earlier seemed to be doing what Saul was supposed to be doing. Now we've got David doing what Saul was supposed to be doing. I mean, nice if Saul were sometimes doing what he was supposed to be doing. That doesn't seem to be happening. All right, other thoughts? Good discussions. Good to uh, think through these things. All right, I want to see what happens. 41 to 54. When the Philistine came on and approached David, the shield bearer in front of him, when Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, a ruddy, with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog who come to you with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have touched. This day the Lord will deliver you up in my hand and I will strike you down, remove your head from you. And I will give you give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistine this day, the birds of the sky, and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord in our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. Then the Philistine saw that the champion was dead. They fled. The men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and into the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way of Sharim, even to Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from them, chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. And David took the Philistines' head and brought to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Well, how does Goliath feel when it's David that's coming out to meet him? Very insulted. He's angry. He's disgusted. Why? Yeah. Yeah. What glory is there going to be to beat up on a little kid? I mean, at least give him some worthy soldier. I mean, this is this is just really, really disappointing. Really annoying to him. Look at this. He's just some, you know, nice-looking kid. You know, and here, I, this handsome appearance, again, I don't think that that's really exactly what you want to say about a, a great soldier, that he was really good-looking. You know, you want a tough guy, not a, a pretty boy or whatever. So, you know, for, for Goliath, this is, this is just terrible. He says, all right, am I a dog coming out to be with a stick? And he curses David by his gods. <coughs> Bad move. Remember what God told Abraham? He who curses you, I will curse. He brings his gods into it, cursing David by his gods. We pretty much know how this is going to go down. And, the, and the, look what Goliath says in 44. He says, 
You know, I'm going to make your soon-to-be-dead body a feast for the birds and the beasts. Now, can you imagine Goliath roaring out these things? How would that make you feel if you were David? Small, terrifying. And what does David do? If you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, etc. The battle is the Lord. He will give it into my hand. David is calm because he has great faith. You know, he's not under. He's confident. David wants the world to know the Lord. David is eager to fight this battle to show the glory of God. We get intimidated because we're fighting to honor ourselves, not fighting to glorify God. But when David's got this mentality, you know, he does the same thing the Israelite armies did. Every time Goliath came out, the Israelite soldiers ran. Well, Goliath comes out and David runs. Now you see the difference, right? What direction did David run? He ran toward him. Can you imagine that? I mean, I can imagine, you know, uh, and as he comes toward you, David's running right toward him. David's ready to get to the attack. David trusts God. You know, remember what's supposed to happen to somebody who blasphemes God. Do you remember what Leviticus says? Leviticus 24 and uh, verse 16, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. Isn't it interesting that he gets stoned here? <laughs> it's exactly what ought to happen, isn't it? <laughs> so, he comes toward him, you know, and David just strikes him with the stone. And what happens to Goliath? What, is it, what happens? Goliath falls on his face to the ground. That reminds you of anything? Dagon! It's just exactly like that idol. And you remember what happened the second time Dagon fell? lost his hand, and so does Goliath. David comes up, takes Goliath's sword out of his sheath, I guess he's been knocked out or whatever by the fall, and cuts his head off. That's just amazing. But this is God gaining the glorious victory over this Philistine giant. To be decapitated by his own sword must have been just about the ultimate disgrace that you could ever imagine for a Philistine warrior and, and by an Israelite kid. Just amazing. Comments and questions on this story. Dave. You know, we, we read all these, these events and these things that are happening all throughout the Old Testament, these awesome and miraculous things. And I'm sure we can all feel this, but we wish we were there and that we could run out to Goliath and, and do these miraculous and crazy things for God and we can I think we oftentimes forget that we, these kind of things happen in our day everyday life you know there are 
Goliaths all out there for us to go out and conquer for God, and we need to remember that. You know, many times people are going to cower, and it needs to be us to stand and face them. Amen. What do you say when they're all making fun of the Lord? You know, when they're all trying to get you to do the wrong thing, do you kind of try to hide, kind of make yourself inconspicuous? Uh, or, or are you boldly going to the battle? Are you eager to stand up for the Lord and to glorify Him? Not in some self-exalting way. It's not a matter that we like to show off how, how bold we are. This is a matter that we are eager to speak out for our God and to glorify Him because He is a great God and He is worthy. And we are not intimidated because we trust in the Lord. There's a great passage in Isaiah chapter 26 that really describes the attitude. Isaiah 26, 3, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. God is our rock and He keeps us in perfect peace when we trust in Him. We have nothing to fear. Why are we so intimidated when we are fighting for God against the uncircumcised Philistines? They are nothing before God. We want to we impress them. We want to look cool to the world. Why? They have nothing. We have God. Nathan. Yeah, I, I just love how confident David is that the Lord's going to deliver him. And I, you know, he was obviously anointed as king. You know, he knew God had plans for him. Um, but he had the same type of confidence that like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have when they say God is able and he will. But even if he doesn't deliver us out of this situation, we're going to do what's right and we're going to have faith. I think for us, we don't always know what the outcome of every situation is going to be, whether it be like a victory like David has over Goliath or not. But to us, what we're in charge of is loving the Lord and having faith and doing His will, and then just let God work what He will work, and we can do that. You know? Amen. Blake. I also see that I, I'm really impressed with David. I guess always had been about him just remembering his place before God and, you know, how... You know, he's nothing special, but also, I guess I was realizing that for like, out of everybody, he's going to know what it's like to stand up for something or somebody that's weak, being a shepherd, you know, I mean, those were these real fragile beasts and everything like that, and here he goes to see the armies of Israel, it's kind of like the same thing, he sees these people that are just so afraid, you know, so weak, because they're just afraid of this big Philistine and everything like that, and I think we do need to step up the way David is and fight for God, but also realize that we're going to encounter a lot of people that are very weak, and we're going to have a lot of people around us that are scared to fight, and we need to, we need to help them. You know? Yeah. Sometimes we let discouragement over the cowardice of our fellow soldiers keep us from being strong in the fight. David did not do that. Trevor? I think we should use David as influence uh, as in uh, when we try to evangelize, uh, David, uh, he didn't have much. He was, he was a small boy. You know, he didn't carry a sword or shield or anything. Uh, he just had his uh, slingshot and a couple of stones. And the same with us. Uh, a lot of times uh, we think that we don't even know enough to spread God's word. But the little that we do have, 
and with God on our side, that can take us a, lo a long way. Amen. Yeah? I think this story um, challenges us on where we are going to direct our brethren's eyes. Um, verse 25, where they're directing the eyes was, look at this Philistine. Have you seen this giant trouble, this trial in front of us? And we see that that provokes fear, that provokes cowardice. And we see David here, his, his direction that he's pointing everyone's eyes is on the power of God and upon the Lord himself. And that provoked bravery, and that provoked courage. And uh, this makes all the difference about where we fix our eyes. Amen. Great point. Cameron? Um, I have a question about Goliath. Is um, this Goliath the same Goliath as in 1 Chronicles 20, chapter 20? It does seem that Goliath may have been a term for maybe Philistine giant or maybe a family name. So I think there are some question marks about other individuals that were called Goliath. I'm not sure about that, but there are some passages that make me think that. Good question. Well, look at the outcome 55 to 58. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the strength and gathered the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehem. Perhaps he wanted to know whose father he was, because he would make his father's house free in Israel. That's a possibility. It's interesting, though, imagine it. What does David bring to Saul? God. Probably not what Saul was expecting when he sent David out. But he comes back with Goliath's head, which is just a symbol of the amazing victory that God gave. This is a great story. I think everybody loves this story. Make the application. Think about our battles. Think about the mission that God has sent us as Christian warriors on. Fighting against Satan, against sin, fighting to spread the gospel to those who are lost. And we face intimidating factors. We face giants that seem overwhelming, but they seem like nothing in the face of the power of the Almighty God. Will we look at God and in faith run to the challenge? Or will we look at the enemy and tower back as the other uh, Israelite soldiers did. I think it's a great lesson. Logan? Um, I'm kind of confused as to why Saul asked David to do this. I mean, because Saul has already called for David to Jesse before, so is Saul just... Unless I'm right that the end of chapter 16 is in the future, and now we're talking about something that happened shortly after David was anointed. So, so David may not have become the musician. I think he had not. That's why. So um, you're, you're saying we can assume that this battle with Goliath was between the time of when David was anointed by Samuel and when he started working as a harmony. That's what I believe, though it's a debatable point. Yeah. Uh, kind of a late question. Um, but why do you think um, Saul and the army like trusted David to go out there and fight this battle? I mean, you didn't seem like someone you put, want to put your wages on. 
Who else has guts enough to do it? I mean, you're right, except everybody else is scared to try it. John, do you think they respected him for his faith in God, even not having it himself? I don't know. I don't think they've got another option. Roger? Yeah, and I don't think neither side was going to keep the, uh, the agreement. Uh, like, I don't think he was going to see more than his from whoever won or lost. You know. It's hard to imagine those agreements work very well. I don't know. All right, good comments, good discussion. I want to talk about one other thing before I give you a break. This is totally off the subject, Uh, but it's an important subject, and I'd like to uh, bring this up for a second. Uh, Last year, we we did a study of Exodus at New Salisbury during this year-end study time, and there was a brother there who talked for a little while, and we discussed the fact that he was moving to Brazil uh, to evangelize again, as he had been there for several years before, and uh, needed help financially to be able to do that. When an American moves to Brazil, uh, they're not allowed to uh, make money in Brazil some other job uh, because of the visa situation. And so Carl Ballard talked a good bit about that and told us some about the work there, the work he was going to be doing. And as a result of that, I think there were a number of individuals who gave him some one-time help, and I think 11 people who gave him a monthly amount of help. That help has expired, and he is in need of some additional help. I think uh, if it was monthly, I think he needs another six or $700 a month, or that can be in one-time uh, things. Several of you remember him from last year and him doing that. Some of you don't. I'd be glad to give you more information about him and about the work he's doing. I was in Abacaju where he is, my last trip, and uh, so I I know some about what he's doing and some of the situation there. So I just thought I would mention that. There may be some people interested in trying to be of some help to him in in the work that he's doing. He's married to a Brazilian and uh, has a great deal of uh, ability and uh, does a good job. (laughs) So wanted to mention that. I appreciate our being able to do these things together I think we have our biggest number. I didn't try to count right now, but I think we've got more than we've had, which means that it would be really helpful if we would continue our migration in this direction of the building. Uh, We always forget to do that when we come back from an activity, and we really need to do that because it's not going to have any place to even move back and back with chairs set up and so forth, and if there would happen to be more people.